contentment. That is, uh, I'm not sure if that's a, a good word or not. I'm not sure if you, you know, if maybe you cringe when you hear that word contentment. Like, what does it even mean? And so let me define it for you real quick. Well, let, let's let uh, Webster's Dictionary define it for us. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. All right, so contentment is, doesn't mean complacency. All right, doesn't mean we have to be complacent. But contentment is a state of happiness or satisfaction. Faction, all right? And so we are starting a series this week, uh, and it's really just a, a short mini series, three weeks long, on financial fitness, all right? So, two words that nobody really wants to hear or deal with money and fitness, right? Uh, and so, what a great idea for a series to invite you to be a part of. Uh, so, we hope that you will uh, join in the journey today, and then you'll be here for the next two Sundays as we talk about financial fitness. Uh, and so if you haven't, maybe some of you already remembered, I was kind of looking on here, if you have the opportunity to share our live video, you can go ahead and do that right now. And uh, that way, by doing so, you're going to be inviting someone to church, all right? So financial fitness. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And today is going to be, uh, really the next couple of weeks is going to be a little more uh, topical in nature than what we usually do here. We usually kind of pick a text and try to go through it. And uh, so we're going to kind of start from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then we will uh, kind of walk our way through that, but then also a lot of other scripture this morning. So I would encourage you to get your bulletin out, take notes, and you're going to have to write down some references really quickly, okay? Because uh, we're going to try to get through as much material as possible. And on the top of your bulletin there has two verses. Two verses. The first one is Proverbs 14. The reality is the Bible talks a lot about money. Uh, my dad always used to say in church, I always remember him saying, people get funny when you talk about money, right? People get funny when you talk about money. And so, but the Bible has a lot to talk about. In fact, Jesus talked more about money, the subject of money and our finances and how to manage and be stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell combined. Okay, so if Jesus talked that much about it, he probably understood that we need help, right? We need help. So the, the average American spends $1.14 for every dollar they make. Think about that for a moment. The average American spends $1.14 for every dollar they make. And so in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest man, has a lot about Scripture, uh, a lot about money as well. So the first one here, Proverbs 14.30. A sound heart is life to the body. The key part of this verse, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Rottenness to the bones, to envy, to always be wanting more. And, and I'll be completely honest with you, um, isn't it easy to just always want more? Like, isn't it easy to always think of something else you could purchase? Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. All right. I mean, oh, there's always something else I want. How many of you love what I've heard termed as retail therapy? Anybody like retail therapy? All right. And the guys are not going to raise their hand. But the, how many of you do all your shopping online now? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you... Uh, do your shop, your, like grocery shopping online, and you just do like the store pickup. How many, how many do that? Anybody make them carry out your groceries yesterday in the rain? <laughs> I was going to say something bad, but my mom raised her hand, so I can't. <clears throat> that was wisdom. 
to do that. I'm going to go to the scripture real quick. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Wow, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is what? Meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. This is, again, from the wisest person the Scripture says in the world. Solomon set out to to acquire everything that he could and to make himself happy and to find anything in the world. He says he would withhold nothing from himself. If he thought he would make him happy, if he thought it would make him content, then he was going to bring it into his life because he had the resources and the ability to do so. And at the end of his life, at the end of this search, at the end of his trial, he said everything in the world, what this world has to offer, what supposedly might bring you happiness, what supposedly might bring you contentment, he said it's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. It's all vanity. The pursuit of what the world has to offer is never, ever going to bring you contentment or fulfillment or satisfaction. We are only going to be fulfilled. We're only going to find our purpose in the person of Jesus Christ. If, if you're trying to find fulfillment and contentment in any other person or any other thing other than the very person of Jesus Christ, can I just, like, spoil alert today? It's not going to happen. If you think that next person you meet or that if you would just get married or if you could just get rid of your kid and have another kid or, you know, whatever the next stage of life might be. for If the kids would just graduate and finish school and get out of my life, right, get out of the house, I would have money. I would have, if we're living for the next thing that's going to make us happy, here's the reality this morning. Happiness is a choice. Contentment is a choice. It's not in getting the next thing. It's not in having the next best, greatest, whatever. And the reality is, in our culture today, especially for us as Americans, this is very, to be content, this Ecclesiastes 6, 9, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. That is very difficult because we are inundated with opportunities to buy more stuff. And it's real easy. No money down. No interest, no payments. You can put it off, right? Enjoy it now, pay for it later, right? And so the next few weeks, we're going to kind of unpack this and, and really think through this. Is what, what's, what is this desire of always wanting more? And here's the truth. The same financially. If I'm going to be financially fit, I wish that there was just an easy, you know, like everyone's trying to come up with that one diet pill, that is going to make you physically fit and perfect specimen of a man or woman. Has anybody found that pill yet? I'll take it, right? <clears throat> we can sell it today for a lot of money. If I'm going to make the decision to be physically fit, guess what I'm going to have to do? Work. Easy for you to say. Thanks a lot. <laughs> work. It takes work. Here's a novel concept. It may involve a lifestyle change. Could we all gasp at that? Ooh. Like I may have to stop eating ice cream after 10 o'clock at night. 
I mean, it's not worth it, right? It's not worth it. I'm fine, just like I am. I'm going to get skinny mirror, skinny mirror instead. If I'm going to be physically fit, it's going to take some lifestyle changes. It's going to take some hard work, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. So let's not approach financial fitness without that understanding. If I'm going to honor God with my finances, if I'm going to, as Ben mentioned, honor God with my budget, let's not assume that it's, that it's going to be easy. Let's not assume that it's not going to require God is going to ask you to make some sacrifices. Let's not assume this morning that God's not going to ask you to make some lifestyle changes. Because the understanding here is if the average person spends $1.14 for every dollar they make, we are all in debt. That's just the average, right? Uh, Dave Ramsey always says, quit trying to keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are in debt. Right? So what's, what's the consequences of always wanting more. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy. I told you to turn there. Let's get there. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. We're going to start reading verse number 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. You should underline that word contentment, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's, it's, it's beneficial is what Paul is saying. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, you know, his understudy, his protege, his son in the ministry, and he's giving his words of wisdom. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, deep spiritual truth here. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, you've heard over and over from pastors say, I've never seen a U-Haul follow a what? Hearst. You've heard it, right? Now, they've created memes, and so I've actually seen it. I don't think it's real, but anyways, we'll, we'll go on. Verse number 8, and having food and clothing with these things, we shall be, underline it, we shall be content. God has promised that he shall supply all our needs, not all our greeds. And sometimes for us, it's really hard to determine the two. Is this a need or is this a greed? Well, how do I know? What's the verse we just read say in having Food and clothing, with these things, we shall be content. Is, is, that descri- is that describing our needs right there in that one verse? I'll let you think about that for a moment. Verse number 9. But those who desire, I would circle that word, desire or pursue, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and the foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I would underline or circle that word drown. When I desire, the, the constant desire for more and more and more is going to lead me to, to what? To death, to drown. Verse 10, for the love of money, it continues on the same thought from verse number 9, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. How sad. The pursuit and the desire of things and money and more, the lack of contentment, what Paul says here, some have left the faith, some have left the church because of their desire for things. 
Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and perceive themselves, excuse me, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Verse number 11, see this contrast here. So verse 9 and 10 describe those who are going to desire rich, desire wealth, desire more, more, more. They are not content with which things God has blessed them with. But you, so Timothy, you, you, O man, godly man, spiritual man, those of you who are following Jesus Christ, flee these things, flee the pursuit, flee the desire of wanting more and more and more. Flee those desires, but pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, patience, gentleness. This sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasures on earth. Don't pursue these things on earth that are temporal, but seek first the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness. And these things shall be added unto you. What we've done in our culture is we are, you know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In our culture, what we've done is we've pursued these things and hoping, hoping that God will be added unto us. We've completely flipped what Jesus said. We're pursuing things, and if God comes with those things, man, that is that's a great blessing. Paul is telling Timothy, don't, don't desire the things of this world, but pursue and desire righteousness and godliness. Fight the good fight of faith, verse 12. Lay hold of eternal life for which you are also called and have confessed. The good confession, the presence of many witnesses. You've given your life to Christ. You've surrendered your life to Christ. So don't pursue the things of this world. Pursue Christ. That's what he's saying. Pursue Christ. Verse 17. Command to those who are rich in this present age not to be proud or haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Don't put your trust in money, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Look, look at verse 18. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good, a good foundation for the time to come, but they may lay hold on eternal life. I have written out here next to my, out, uh, to, to my Bible in this text here, be a river, not a reservoir. Be a river, not a reservoir. Share what God has given to you. That's why he's given it to you. Right? We already mentioned this morning that, uh, that you, you saw the promo of Financial Peace University. And let me encourage you, if you have not been through that, or maybe you've been through that and you need to refresh your course, sign up for that. All right, You can go to our website. The information is on there. You can register for that. It's going to be an investment. You need to invest in it. You need to put some skin in the game. But I want to encourage you to be a part of that. It will change the way you view money and you will view how you receive your money. What you should do with that. What's the effects on your outline here? Let's get to this. We've got a lot to get through this morning. The effects of always wanting more. As Paul compared these two, am I going to desire for more stuff or am I going to desire and pursue God? What's the effects on our life, and, and it's seen really, really clearly, vividly in our culture, of always wanting more? Number one here is more fatigue. Just we're tired. Right? We, we, we work and we work and we work just to pay off what we already have spent. Right? Uh, my son had this um, epiphany this week. As I was in Springfield uh, for some meetings and talking to him, and, and uh, he's paying for his school bill. Praise God for that. And um, he's like, 
I don't think he realized how much wisdom and how much I had to hold back the laughter when he said it. It's like, man, it stinks working. No, when I get my check, I just have to give it all to the school. Well, you, you, you know, you, don't, you mean you don't get to buy that $70 Spider-Man game that came out this week? Life's tough, isn't it? It was just a little bit of, I don't know what, some proud, like he's actually making that decision. Some, I just want to poke at him and laugh. Like, uh, we build and we buy and then we go to work 24-7 to pay for it. Proverbs 23.4, you write this reference down. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Isn't that great? It's just great advice. Don't wear yourself out trying to be rich. Even if you win the rat race, guess what? You're still a rat. Rick Warren says this, most people give up their health in the first half of their life in order to get money. In the second half of their life, they give up their money trying to get their health back. In your connect group this morning, you talked about we were in the image of Christ and we are to rest from our work. But we have overextended ourselves so much in our culture that nobody rests from their work. Work, work, more fatigue. Number two, the effects of always wanting more is more expenses. You got to write this, this next statement down because it's going to completely blow your mind with, with my wisdom. I'm not sure why you're laughing. The more, the more you have, the more you have. That's deep stuff, isn't it? The more you have, the more you have. I'll let you think about it for a minute. Ecclesiastes 5.11. The more, I love this. I, I love the New Living Translation because just like it just kind of comes out and says it. Like it just punches you in the face. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Can I get an amen to that? The more you have. I, I love this statement. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, the water bill is greater on the other side of the fence. Right? Somebody had to pay for that green. Uh, Rick Warren mentions this bumper sticker he saw that it says, and I, I really doubt he actually saw it. I'm just going to say that. But I used to dream of the salary I'm starving on. Think about that for a moment. I used to dream of the salary I'm starving on. The more you have, the more you have. More fatigue, more expenses. Number three, more anxiety. More anxiety. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says this, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. Look at the last part of this verse. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. The more you have, the more you have, right? This anxiety, this stress, this fear. you got to hold on to it. you got to pay for it. You got to figure out a place for it. You know what blows my mind, and, and I know I've mentioned this before, but l- drive around Fort Worth and look at all the storage units that are going up everywhere. And the reason that that there is so many storage units, somebody's making money on that. You you realize that, right? If there are that many being built all over, and we have climate-controlled storage units, people are paying rent for stuff they don't use. 
but it's stuff they just had to have. The more you have, the more you have. You know what blows my mind is, you, you guys have seen the one, I think it's on 1187, the big, you know, how many story storage unit, it says climate controlled, and, and I saw one the other day that you can, you can drive your car in th- into the storage unit, indoors, unload your stuff, and drive back out. I mean, if I'm going to rent one, I'm going to rent that one. But you know, anyways. <laughs> and you know, I've been blessed to be all over the world. And those storage units are better houses than what most people in the world live in. And we're storing our junk. In fact, another business on top of storage units is Storage Wars. You seen the show? And this is not just one show. This is all over America. People have paid good money to, to store their junk that they just had to have. Then they never come back and get it, so people just sell it off. And people are making tons of money off storage junk that someone once paid a lot of money for to store because it was so valuable. They just needed it at some point in their life, right? And the stress... I love this statement, insomnia increases with income. Insomnia increases with income if you don't get a handle of your wants. If you don't get control of the desire for more. So you have more fatigue, more expenses, more anxiety. Number four, more conflict. The number one cause of divorce in our country today is well documented. The number one cause of divorce in our country today is arguments, frustration, Conflict over, guess what? Money. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. Look, look back at our text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and what we read already, verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful lusts, which do what? Drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness. And, 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 and what does it cause them? What is, it, what is the effect? They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. More money... The desire for more and more and more leads to more conflict. Number five, fatigue, expenses, anxiety, conflict. Number five, more dissatisfaction. The one thing you're going after just to be satisfied is it's going to lead you to, to less, be less satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. Think about that. Look, look, on the, look on the screen, either one of these screens here, and, and just kind of let that thought sink into you this morning. Those who love money will never have enough. I think it was Warren Buffett that famously said as he was dying, how, how much money do you need to be happy? And his answer was just a little more. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Money doesn't buy happiness. It may rent happiness for a while, but it doesn't buy it. 
more dissatisfaction. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, the first verse we read this morning said this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. So if the desire, if the desire let, let's think about this from an, a different perspective. If, if the pursuit of more stuff and more things and money and happiness and contentment comes through my possessions, if all that does is lead me to more fatigue and expenses, anxiety and conflict and dissatisfaction, then, then the reverse of that, could that also be true? If I learn to be content with what things I have, will I have less fatigue and less expenses and less anxiety and less conflict and less dissatisfaction? And does anyone this morning want to admit that you would like to have less fatigue and less expenses and less anxiety and less conflict and less dissatisfaction? In other words, what, what, could we say that if I learned to be content, I would have more rest and more savings and more peace of mind and more peace and more satisfaction and that I could learn to be content? Look at Philippians chapter number 2. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number, excuse me, Philippians chapter number 4. Just a few verses, or a few pages over. Philippians chapter 4, again, this is Paul writing. So Paul had written a letter to Timothy. Here Paul's writing again to the church at Philippi. And you, and you understand how seamlessly these two subjects go together. Verse number 11, Paul writing, now that I, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have underlined that next word, I have learned to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance, and wherever my life takes me, whatever I have, I've learned to be content. He goes on to expound on that. Verse 12, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I know how to live, I know how to have a lot. That's what he's saying. Everywhere in all things I have learned, again, underline the word learn, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. The song we just sang this morning, in the good and in the bad, I will what? I will follow you. I'm going to trust. And that's what Paul is saying here, is in the good and the bad, with a lot or not, in place of position, place of humility, I've learned to be content. So two observations about this Statement. Paul said, I've learned to be content. The first observation is this. We have to learn to be content. It's not natural to be content, is it? It goes against our nature to be content. We always want more. There's the desire to want more. And it goes against our very nature, our sin nature. It always wants more. It always wants the next. It always wants the best. And so we have to learn to be content. And that's the first observation when you think about Paul said, I've learned to be content. We're going to have to learn it. The second observation from that one statement is that it can be learned. Paul learned it. He had to learn it, but it can be learned. And so the great news this morning is everyone in the room, we can learn to be content. And if we learn to be content, we're going to have less stress, more peace of mind, satisfaction. Maybe you don't want that. And then the most misquoted or misused verse in the Bible, verse number 13, that we could all quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. That means I can hit the home run, right? That's where you see it all the time, right? That's not the context, right? 
Like we're going to hear a lot this afternoon after the game, oh, God gave me the strength to do it. I can do all things through Christ through me. I can hit the home run. Well, what about the pitcher that's praying the same thing? We're going to leave that hanging there. The context that this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is what? I can learn to be what? Content. And here's the truth. Without Christ, you are not going to learn to be content. Because in of yourself, you don't have the ability to be content. You need Christ. Is Christ enough for you? That's what the real, all this boils down to, is Christ enough? Because if Christ is enough, then I don't need more stuff. If Christ is enough, then I don't need all that other things that people, this culture, this world tells me I need to have. No, my peace, my comfort, my pleasure, my purpose, my foundation in life is not about who I am, but whose I am. It's not about what I have, but who I have. I am in Jesus Christ. I don't need whatever it is I feel like I need to feel happy. What do you need this morning? You need Jesus. And there may be some pushback. Well, I, you know, I gave my life to Christ when I was 17 years old. At the age of 17 at Brownwood Youth Camp, I realized that I was playing the game of Christianity. I realized that, that I just went to church. I was planning on going to Bible college. But I had never actually given my life to Jesus Christ. And I had to make the decision for myself. Am I going to serve the world and myself or am I going to serve Jesus Christ? And at the age of 17, I gave my life to Christ. But you know what I have to do every single day when I get up in the morning? Recommit my life to Christ. Because every single day in the morning when I get up, you know who I want to please? My wife. No, myself. (laughs) I want to please myself. I want the coffee the way I want my coffee. And every day I have to get up and say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to live for you. You're enough. I don't need to pursue what people think of me. I don't need to worry about that. I need to pursue you. I don't need more stuff. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses. I need to pursue you. I don't need to desire to be rich. I need to desire, I need to desire you. Let's, let's look at the benefits, or maybe a, a better way to phrase that is if I have to learn to be content, and it is possible to learn to be content, well, then how do we be content? Number one, these are really practical this morning. Refuse to compare myself with others. Refuse to play that comparison game, right? Listen, here's the reality in comparison. I can always find someone worse off than me and compare myself to them. And all that leads me to is pride. But I can also always find someone who's better off than me and compare myself to them. And all that leads to me to want is want more. To covet. The Tenth Commandment says, thou shalt not covet. Comparison always leads to coveting. When I compare, I will eventually covet. Or I'll be filled with pride. I love this statement by Stephen Furtick. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Let me read that again. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare the behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. In other words, we're comparing our real life to their Facebook life. Or we're comparing our real life to their Instagram photo. 
Are you, are you tracking with me? Comparing yourself to others is of no value. It leads to coveting. Let's keep going. Number two, how do I learn contentment? Refuse to compare myself with others. Number two, enjoy what I have. Doesn't this seem like such deep theology, right? Enjoy what I have. Every parent here in the room knows what I mean, though. You've given your, your kids things, and it doesn't last. Their happiness doesn't last, does it? I just got to have this for Christmas. And most of us don't even remember what we got last year for Christmas. The storage units tell us we don't enjoy what we have. We always want more. 1 Timothy 6.17, which we read already, commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. And let me just pause for a moment. Everyone in here, you're rich. Compared to the world, you are rich. Write, write this down. We don't have time to go over this. Write this down. Globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. All right? Write it down, and you go check it out, and we're not going to talk about it. Right? We don't have time to talk about it. But, but what I'm just telling you is you're rich. And so what does Paul say? Those of you speaking to us who are rich, don't be proud. Don't trust in your riches, but trust in living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Just enjoy what God has already given you. Wake up in the morning to look out, and God gave you the ability to see the sunset, the sunrise that he just painted for you. Why did God... Why does he take the time to make it look so beautiful out there? It's for you to enjoy. Why did he allow us to hear music? What's, what's the purpose of music? It's for our enjoyment. To stir emotions within us. It has no other, music doesn't really have any value, does it? But why, so why would God create music and allow us to hear it. He wants us to enjoy it. I've given you all things richly to enjoy. And we've spent so much time in our culture looking at what we don't have. We fail to enjoy what we do have. Enjoy what God has already, already blessed you with. Most of us, I've already mentioned this, most of us get into that that when-then theology or philosophy. When this happens, then I'll be happy. And I'll say it again. You're as happy as you choose to be. Let me add on to that. You're as close to God right now as you have chosen to be. You're connected in this church to the degree you've chosen to be. You're as happy as you choose to be. Happiness is a choice. The question here, can I have things, can I be wealthy and not be materialistic? Because that's what we're really talking about. The desire, materialism, that I just want more and I, I'm not happy with what I have and I want more. So in our culture, we're, we're all wealthy is it, is it all, let me just ask you the question. You can answer out loud. Is it okay to be rich? Yeah, it definitely is. Can you be rich and not be materialistic? Yeah. 
And we're all rich according to what I've already defined for you. So can we be rich and not be materialistic? Let me, let me read something for you. You say I'm not materialistic because we don't want to be. I hope you don't want to be. You say I'm not materialistic. Well, how generous are you? This is when it's going to get quiet other than the cricket in the room this morning. How generous are you? You know one of the signs of materialism? So this is that desire to want more that we're trying, I hope, we're trying to avoid. We're trying to learn to be content. You know one of the signs of materialism of always wanting more? It's not the only sign, but one of the signs that I'm materialistic is that I get irritated when anybody starts talking about tithing. Hey, even the cricket got quiet. He's not... That cricket ain't doing his part. <laughs> Listen, it goes on. That's a sign of materialism. Because the reason I don't tithe or I get frustrated with it is that there's things I'm not willing to do without. There's a word for that. Materialism. If, I, if I'm not willing to do without things then maybe I'm materialistic. Maybe I have, maybe I suffer with the desire of always wanting more. The author goes on to say this, God doesn't need my money. The reason he asked me to tithe is to teach me to break the grip of materialism in my life. Listen to that again. God doesn't need my money. The reason God asked me to tithe is to teach me to break the grip of materialism on my life. To live with an open hand. To be that river, not a reservoir. To be generous with what things God has blessed me with. And I know it's, it's difficult in our culture. Let's just think through this logically this morning. If the average person spends $1.14 for every dollar they make, they're in debt. Okay, If you haven't figured that out, they're in debt. Our culture, our government, everyone seems to be in debt, right? And so if, if I'm in debt and I can't get out of debt and I can't manage my money well... And yet, God wants me to tithe for the average person. If they're in debt, is it going to be difficult for them to tithe? It is. Well, let's go back to what the assumptions we said this morning when we started. If I'm going to get physically fit, it's going to take some sacrifice, it's going to take commitment, it's going to take some work. And it may take a lifestyle change. Am I willing to change my lifestyle so that I can give? So that I can tell God, it's not mine, it's yours. Next week, I'm, so we're going we're gonna to see how uh, courageous you are if you show back up next week, all right? Next week in your bulletin, in the pew, there's going to be a card there. It's going to be a 90-day challenge. We're going to challenge you. If you don't want to be challenged, don't come back. That's just, that's just the truth of it, okay? If you're a weak and you're a wimp, then don't come back, all right? It's going to be a 90-day challenge, and we're going to challenge you. Because uh, to, to, there's a lot, of, a lot of you in the room, not me, a lot of you in the room that haven't figured this out. There's a lot of people in this room that have figured it out. 
And I've listened to your testimony. I've listened to your story, how God has always provided. God has always been faithful. And so we're going to challenge you. If you're not already tithing, to take a 90-day challenge to tithe. Here's what, here's what the Lord says in Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing to, so great you won't have enough room to take it. And, and this is the last part of this phrase, this, this verse I want you to land on. Try it. Put me to the test. So this 90-day challenge, it's a test for you. But you're also testing the Lord. He said, try me, test me. See if it doesn't work. See if I won't provide. See if I won't bless. And so we're going to ask you to make a commitment. That commitment's not going to start till the first Sunday of October, October the 7th. But you're going to be challenged. Refuse to compare myself with others. Number two, enjoy what I have. Number three, Remember, life is not about things. Life's not about things. I'm going to give you one quick illustration. This week I was in Springfield, Missouri, and I sat down with a guy. Uh, most of you, uh, some of you would know his name. His name's Steve Bender. He's worked in the missions office for many years. And right behind his desk is these Coke bottles. Okay, how many of you, anybody collect Coke bottles? I have a friend in Kansas who probably has $30,000 worth of Coke bottle material merchandise in his basement. I'm not going to tell you where he lives. Uh, all right. But, you know, Steve Bender had maybe, maybe 20 bottles behind there, just a little Coke bottle collection. So I asked him about it. And, and here's what he said about his Coke bottle collection. Oh, you know, when I go overseas, I, if, if I can find a little Coke bottle from there, I'll bring it, I'll bring it over, just a little collection. It, and then and this is what he said that it was of such importance. It's just something for my kids to throw away when I die. Amen. See, life is not about things. I can invest in things or I can invest in people. I can invest in God or I, I can invest in the world. Number four, focus on what will last forever. There's only two things that will last forever. The Word of God and people. The Word of God and people. All this stuff that we have joined the rat race to collect... It doesn't last. It doesn't last. So the comparison there, back in our text, 1 Timothy, look at it real quick and we'll be done. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm in 2 Timothy, that's not doing me any good. 1 Timothy 6. We're going to look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's one way to live. The way that, that the culture tells you to live. Pursue, th pursue things, get more, get more, get more. Materialism. Or, verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. I, I can t so here's what it boils down to. This, I think it's the last thing on your outline this morning. You can pursue culture or you can pursue Christ, but you can't pursue both. 
That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. You either love God or you're going to love money. But you can't pursue both. Maybe this morning you, you need to make a decision. For one, you're going to show back up next week. And two, you're going to make a conscious decision, God, if I'm not open-handed with you, with my life and with my money, please reveal that to me. David prayed, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me, reveal that to me so that I can repent. And the reality is there's some of us in the room that, that we think we're open-handed, and God is saying, no, you're not. So, so just open up yourself to the possibility this morning that maybe you're not content in Christ as you should be. Pray about it. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? And I want to ask real quickly this morning, would anyone say, you know, John, uh, this was difficult this morning. God's kind of prodding me a little bit that, that maybe I'm struggling with this idea of being content. If that's you this morning, and let's just be honest, it's going to be really hard for you to raise your hand this morning. Just because of the subject of what we're talking about, I understand that. But if you would say this morning, God, uh, God is really just, I just feel his prodding in my life right now that, that maybe I'm not as content as I should be. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just acknowledge that. Just acknowledge it. Put your hand up. Okay, a lot more than I thought we're going to be willing to raise your hand this morning. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for the courage to just say, God, I, yeah, I'm pursuing things and not you. And it is so easy to do. Trust me, I know. About 10 years ago, I waited for about three hours on the phone calling Dave Ramsey, his office, because it was debt-free Friday, and I was going to yell, freedom. If you know much about it, I was excited. And, and can I be completely honest with you this morning? I, I couldn't make that call this Friday. We all struggle with it. Contentment is tough. It's daily. So this morning, the song we're going to sing is, is simply Christ is enough. Is Christ enough for you? That I'm not going to pursue what people think and I'm not going to pursue things. I'm, I'm, my desire, my goal, my pursuit is God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to have a time of prayer this morning. We're going to be up here this morning. If you'd like to pray with someone, we would love to pray with you. Maybe you've never even given your life to Christ. I would love to show you how to do that. There's men and women up here that would love to show you how to do that. But this morning, if you just want to come and pray, maybe it's a recommitment today. God, help me to be content with what things I have. Help me to be open-handed with my possessions and my life. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that he was willing to pay the ultimate price and, and to pay my debt with his blood. Lord, help me to pursue you every single day in every single way. For those that have raised their hand this morning, Lord, I know that you are speaking to them right now. I pray you would give them the courage to make that decision that, or, or just give them wisdom to know what that decision is. If they need to come forward and pray with someone, give them the courage to do that. Lord, if it's just to come forward and pray, help us be open to that today as well.
Would you stand with me this morning as we continue in worship? If you'd like to pray, the altar.